0: Okay, thank you so much, Rachel. It's so funny that she says that because I get up here and I'm like, you know, all of the the feelings and nervousness, but it is really great to be back with you ladies this morning. Um, I'm very uh, excited to get in the Word with you. Um, And it's 2022, and we're going deep, right? You've heard that so much from the stage and so many different areas that we're going deep. We're talking about the story of God on Sundays and on Thursday nights in this room. We're going even deeper with um, Barry and some of his friends, which is open to anyone. It's not just a young adult event. So if y'all want to come Thursday nights and go even deeper, um, we have that also. But the biggest challenge of this year is reading the New Testament, reading the New Testament together for the entire year. So I'm wondering for you, what's the journey like? What's it been like for you to make the start to go deeper? Um, A few years ago, we hosted a retreat for young adults, um, and we were going to Austin, and we set up a carpool system and decided to road trip down together on a Friday evening. Um, I love road trips. I love road trips, and I love multi-car road trips down to the same place. So um, we planned a playlist, we packed snacks, we set up a whole system to drive down to Austin. And to get to Austin, you can get there on one tank of gas. There's no need for pit stops, but we plan to stop at Bucky's. Yes. Because if you're going up or down 35, you have to stop at Bucky's. Whether you need gas or snacks or not, you have to stop at Bucky's. So we planned it. So we pull over at Bucky's, and I'm so excited. And so I find all of our young adults, and I'm just asking them, what, What's the journey been like? What, what did y'all talk about in the car? How's the playlist? Do you have enough snacks? Um, is everybody getting along? All of the questions to just kind of figure out how it's going. Because I love journeys, and I love hearing stories about how people are doing on the journey. So when I asked you the question, how's the journey going, how's it going for you, going deeper, um, at the beginning of this year, I really want to know from you guys how it's going. So if a couple of you would be so brave as to share with me and just shout out maybe how it's going, if it's good, if it's hard, if it's, you know, you're bored, I don't know, whatever it might be. It's It's hard? Yeah, yeah, definitely bumpy that's a good word bumpy mm-hmm. yeah it's tinder. tinder. oh yeah mhm yeah maybe one more <laughs> convicting. convicting yes definitely convicting um for me, I'm excited. I was super excited to begin the year. Um, I love the fact that we're doing this together. It feels like really community building within our church. But if I'm really honest with you, I'm also a little worried. I'm worried that um, I won't have the stamina to complete the journey, um, to complete the task. It's a long year, and I'm worried that somewhere around March that I'll get bored and I'll stop reading the New Testament or get bored with going deeper. Um, Because staying committed to reading God's word is hard, isn't it? It can be hard to understand and interpret scripture, and sometimes we just get bored with it, right? Um, In fact, this past Thursday night when I was talking to you guys about the panelists up here with Barry, um, one of our guest panelists, his name is Dr. Juan, and he's an Old Testament professor at Dallas Seminary, and um, they were talking through the story of Adam and Eve. And he said that we often read the Bible as if we're reading the Bible. It's this big text and we kind of approach it like a textbook and we forget that it's a collection of stories right, of stories that together tell the whole story of God, what God has done, and then it gives us insight into what he's doing now, and then what he will do in the future, right? It's living and it's active. So when I was thinking about our focus, um, the focus of our time today, I kept coming back to 2 Thessalonians 2.13, which says this, this is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. And it's that last part that I really want to use as the backdrop for our entire time together, because it says, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. The word of God works, y'all, and I think this whole passage of scripture that we're going to talk about today is anchored, supported, and hinges on this being true. You see, it's hard for us to commit to reading scripture for a long period of time. It's challenging to read the Bible as a collection of stories and not a boring textbook. But ladies, you guys know that the first century Christians did not have the Bible the way that we do. They didn't have it on their device. They didn't have access to multiple hard copies and multiple translations. The word of God for them was a story. That was told to them by mouth from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And it was a letter. That's it. A letter of encouragement reminding the people of Thessalonica of the words that they heard and the time that they spent together. It's a letter reminding them that the word of God is at work inside them. And the word of God at work inside them will sustain them. The word of God will give them courage to face opposition, build integrity, cultivate a spirit of care for their community and ultimately develop a sense of endurance for the journey ahead. Why? Because the word of God works. So, open your Bibles if you don't already have them or open your device and we're going to walk through 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 16. Now, the first thing that we're going to look at is how the word of God gives the people of Thessalonica courage. Now, chapter two is a continuation of Paul's thoughts in chapter one, except that he kind of pivots strangely into what feels like a defense of his behavior um, while he stayed with the Thessalonians, right? The very first words of the chapter sound like he's trying to convince them or remind them that everything's okay. And in the CSB version, it says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. And then in the message, it begins this way. So friends, it's obvious that our visit with visit to you was no waste of time. And why does he begin this way? It seems a little strange to me. But do you remember in your study that we were asked to read Acts to understand the way that Paul and his friends were treated while they were staying there? Do you remember the way that he left, the way that they left Thessalonica? They left in a hurry at night, right? They left in a hurry after a riot happened in the city, and their friend Jason was dragged out into the street and arrested, so Paul's visit caused enormous unrest among the people. And his quick departure might have left some of the people thinking, "Well, thanks a lot, Paul. Things just got real, and now you left. You're leaving." And then some people might have just been confused. What do we do with this message that these men have just told us? Um, how do we how do we live? Um, after seeing the unrest that it's caused. And then there were people, of course, who didn't like the message that Paul brought, who were angered by the message, and they were probably walking around trying to discredit him and Sylvanus and Timothy. They were trying to destroy their character. So Paul begins with what sounds like a defense, but I really think he's telling the people, pull it together, be courageous. The world is crazy and it feels like everything is on fire, but we didn't leave you because we were afraid, no. No, we didn't do that. Do you remember what happened to us in Philippi? We were treated outrageously, and God gave us courage to bring the gospel to you in spite of great opposition. So I see it like this. Paul is grabbing them, grabbing their faces, and saying, for you yourselves know, right? Look at that passage, for you yourselves know, Brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. And when I was um, writing this, I immediately thought about Jesus and the disciples in John uh, chapter 16, verse 33, where he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is one of those times of trouble, right? Right? Thessalonica was an unfriendly place for Christians, and Paul's words here have that same undertone of Jesus's, right? And Paul is telling them that their visit was not without result. They were emboldened by God to speak the gospel. So have courage, friends. The word of God works. It gives us courage to face opposition. So let's keep going. So he goes on in verses 3 through 6 to say this. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God, who examines our hearts. For we never used unflattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others." So here Paul is demonstrating his integrity and doing so by encouraging the people to also live with integrity. He says, look, we didn't come here trying to trick you or deceive you. We're not con artists. We're doing what God has called us to do. This is our assignment. You guys might remember that last time I was here, we talked about assignment. So this is their assignment. Um, Thessalonica is where God has told us to go. We didn't come here to get something for ourselves. It's an appeal to integrity and the integrity of his companions, right? And integrity, it means strong moral principles. So back in October, um, I told those of you uh, that were here the last time I was on this stage that I went on this life-changing retreat in Colorado. And at that retreat, I had the opportunity to sit with a small group of women and um, listen to the co-owner of the ranch that we were at talk about integrity. She said that integrity is the number one quality that they look for um, and that they strive for with their employees at the ranch. She said integrity is so important to them that a lack of integrity can get you fired. She said the root word of integrity is integer. It's a thing that is whole, a thing that is complete in itself. So when Paul says, we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others, he's saying that they are complete in Christ, made whole by the gospel. And they didn't need anyone to puff them up or give them any glory because they've been made complete by Jesus, right? So when people are attempting to discredit them and to tell the Thessalonians that they're just doing this to make themselves look good, he says, remind them that we didn't use flattering words. We didn't do this to please people, but God and God will examine our hearts. So while Paul is not interested in the praise of people, he is very committed to community and he is very committed to the people of Thessalonica. For Paul and for us, the word of God works to encourage us to live with integrity. So let's go further on into our passage and read verses 7 through 12. It says, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship brothers and sisters working day and night so that we would not be a burden so we would not burden any of you we preached God's gospel to you you are witnesses and so is God of how devoutly righteously and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers as you know like a father with his own children we encouraged comforted and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory So Paul has deep love for the people at Thessalonica, and he wants them to remember how he cared for them, but also encourage them to have a spirit of care for one another in their community. He wants them to also have a spirit of care for one another in their community. And he says, we could have been a burden. We could have, but we weren't. We shared our lives with you like a mother and like a father. And so when I was preparing for this message, I paused for a moment at this section because I know um, there's great diversity in this room when it comes to motherhood. Not everyone in this room is a mother in the literal, you know, I birth children sense. And so I know that sometimes highlighting motherhood um, as an illustration can be painful. And I mean, most of y'all know even my story of um, infertility and adoption, and then a surprise bio baby. But the Lord um, brought to mind a different example of motherhood when I was preparing, and I wanna use it, and I hope that it illustrates um, what Paul is doing here. And if nothing else, it will encourage you to become a youth leader, maybe. So a few years ago, I had the privilege of being a life group leader for a group of high school students. And I have to tell you, I do young adult ministry, but second to young adults, I love high school students. I really love juniors and seniors because they're more like young adults, but I love high school students. And it was summer and we were at beach camp. And you guys know if you've ever been to summer camp, it's really intense. It's intense times of fun and activities, but it's also intense time in the word and worship. And I had this girl in my group who was just a along for the fun and every time we went to sessions she kind of checked out she didn't really want to be there she's quiet during our group discussions and it was the last evening session and everyone was heading into the building to experience this last time together and as you know, the last session is like the key session. It's the time where the youth pastors have saved all of their energy for this last session to really connect with the students. And so I was praying that my girls would be able to connect with the message that night. So we go in and this girl is sitting on the couch just outside of the large room. And so I, I encourage her to go inside, sit with us and you know, let's enjoy this time together and she refuses. And I'm thinking to myself, Really? Like, it's the last night. Like, can't you just go inside? Like, why are you doing this now? Why are you disconnecting from the last session? But she just refuses to go in. And so, kind of standing there, and I take a deep breath, and I just sit down next to her. And we sit there for a while in silence, and then we just kind of start chatting, and then she starts talking, and she starts sharing. And then she begins to share just deep family hurt, struggles with deep, deep depression and feeling like there's just this wall between her and God that just can't be overcome. And so I pray for her, and I put my arm around her, and then she begins to cry. And then I pull her in close, and then she begins to weep. And not just weep, but body-shaking weep. And, and as I held her, I just felt this overwhelming love for her, and I loved her before. I loved all of my girls, but in this moment, it was it was different. It was a different, like guttural kind of love. And the best way that I can describe it is it's mama love, you know, <laughs> that kind of love that fights through hell and Satan. That kind of love is what I felt for this girl. I cry every time, um, but that's what I felt for this girl. This deep love for her and just deep desire for her to know Jesus and for him to set her free. Um, And it's seared into my memory as another picture of motherhood, the same way that my adoption day is seared into my memory, the same day as the birth experience of my youngest is seared into my memory, that's, that's there. And I thank God so much for that experience, for the time that I got to spend with her outside of that room and for that picture of motherhood with a girl who is not my daughter. And so I love that Paul uses the example of motherhood and fatherhood. I mean, he wasn't a father, and he definitely wasn't a mother, but he knew that there was something unique and different about um, family relationships, especially paternal relationships, right? And as you hear me say that, you might struggle with your own paternal relationships, and they might not exhibit the characteristics that Paul lists in this chapter, and you may not have kids, and so it might be hard for you to see and read examples of nursing um, when you don't have your own children. But the reason that I used the example of my time as a high school life group leader was to show you that there are times in your life when God will call you to be a mother to someone else's daughter. <laughs> um, and when, when he will lead you to be cared for by someone else's mother. And I want us to live in the body of Christ together in such a way that it's not weird. It's not weird for us to be mothers and daughters and sisters to one another, right? Shouldn't we live in that community? And that's what I think Paul is doing in this section when he's making this connection. And so at this point, Paul, um, using himself and his experiences with the people as an example, he's challenged them to be courageous against opposition. He's encouraged them to live with integrity. And he's reminded them of the care and the love that is found through community. To be courageous, to live with integrity, and to live with care and love in community. And so in the final um, few verses, this final section, he's gonna make an appeal for endurance. In this final section, everything is gonna come to a head And the Thessalonians are going to need courage, integrity, and community in order to endure what is currently happening to them and what will happen in the future. So let's read um, verses 13 through 16. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you receive the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is. The word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country. Just as they did just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us, they displeased God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. And as a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. This is why we thank God. He encourages them first. Paul says, you received the word of God, and it works effectively in you who believe. The message is working. The message is working, and here's how we know that it's working, right? This is the hard part. He says, you became imitators of God's churches that are in Judea, in the same area that they're in, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country. Congratulations, you're just like all the other churches that we've planted. You um, are flourishing, but you're also suffering, right? and you're suffering the same persecution that led to the death of Jesus, the death of the prophets, and their own beatings and imprisonments and hardships. You're in good company, but you have to endure. And as for those that are causing you trouble, they're displeasing to God, and they're hostile to everyone. They are preventing the spread of the gospel, and their actions will lead them to destruction. So he's trying to encourage the Thessalonians to hold on in spite of opposition, in spite of suffering, and to not worry about those who are trying to prevent them from spreading the gospel. Their behavior is their own destruction. We can even um, compare and contrast the behavior of those who are persecuting the Thessalonians with the Thessalonian Christians. So Paul says the persecutors displease God and are hostile to everyone, but the Thessalonians— the people of God, by contrast, do what is pleasing to God. They are gentle, inviting to everyone. They are keeping, the, the those that are persecuting you are keeping the gospel from spreading. But you, Thessalonians, you are encouraging its growth among you. They are filling up their sins to the limit until wrath overtakes them. But you are filling up with the word of God and living in a way that is worthy of God. It doesn't end in destruction. It ends when he calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Life with Christ is vastly different from life without Christ. And it's vastly better, but it's also extremely difficult. And so I don't want us to get too comfortable with the compare and contrast and forget that at this time, it seems like the bad guys are winning right? They had the power to persecute and imprison these believers, and and the Thessalonians were constantly fighting opposition just to spread the word of God and live differently. They desperately needed someone to remind them and to tell them that the word of God works and that they can be courageous and live with integrity and thrive in community for the long haul. This past Thursday, I was um, in a meeting with my Be the Bridge group. And some of you know what uh, Be the Bridge groups are. If you don't, Be the Bridge group is a small group focused on pursuing God's heart for racial reconciliation. And I'm in a group with um, some staff members and we meet every other week. And so last week we were talking about the Martin Luther King Jr. quote that says, "'Forgiveness is not an occasional act. "'It is a permanent attitude.'" And the question in our curriculum said, what does it mean to maintain a permanent attitude of forgiveness? Well, we talked about this for a while, expressing um, to one another just how difficult it is to maintain a permanent attitude of forgiveness when people are constantly hurting you, right? To do this, you have to really know what it means to endure. And to endure means to suffer patiently and you suffer patiently because you know that a day will come when things will change, when all things will be made right. And for Dr. King, he suffered patiently, waiting for reconciliation, for justice, for freedom, not just for himself and for the people living in the civil rights era, but for future generations. And the Thessalonians suffered patiently as the gospel spread, as they faced persecution for a day when God would redeem the world. The ability to endure well comes with courage, integrity, and in community. The word of God works, it does, but do we have the courage to face opposition? Do we have the integrity and the completeness in Christ that we aren't going to seek approval of man and abandon following Jesus? Are we living in real, family style community where we can lean on one another when things get hard? And do we know how to endure? Do we know how to suffer patiently? Not looking at our present circumstances, but to the future when Jesus will make all things right. The journey, while great, is long and it's slow and it's full of adversity, but the word of God works. It's at work in each of us who believe. And the word of God will give each of us courage. It will build us in integrity and it will help us live in community together. So when you feel like giving up on reading the New Testament or even when working through the daily exercises in your Bible study gets hard, remember the people of Thessalonica who endured based only on the words of Paul and his friends and a letter.